0: So this relative underinvestment in the legacy nodes is now catching up to the industry at a time where demand in GDP plus type markets like auto and industrial is just starting to surprise to the upside. And that's what's causing the big
1: issue. From our remote offices in the New York tri-state area, welcome to No More, Risk Better, the Credit Sites podcast. This podcast offers conversations with our analysts to get their perspective and expertise on the global credit markets. If you are an investment professional that touches the wide universe of fixed income, you will want to give us a listen. Our team of nearly 100 analysts originates research for more than 15,000 readers across global credit markets. I'm Christopher Snow, the head of US research, and I'm here with Andy Lee, our senior semiconductor analyst. Hi Andy, welcome.
0: Hey Chris, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you joining us.
1: We've seen a lot of headlines over the last couple of weeks, particularly about semi-shortages, notably in the auto sector, and the you know the automakers themselves have said that the shortages could impact their volumes by hundreds of thousands of vehicles and their earnings by you know, potentially billions of dollars. And can you discuss how widespread this issue is and whether or not we're seeing this in other end markets as well?
0: Yeah, sure, Chris. So as you mentioned, what's been getting the most press is the shortage of chips for the auto end market. But we're also seeing a similar development in the industrial space, as well as some impact to the mobile handset market. On the other hand, end markets like high-end compute for servers and PCs haven't really been impacted yet. So in short, this is more of an industry-wide issue, though some end markets are definitely feeling the heat more so than others.
1: And I guess, could you dig into that a bit? Like, Why are some of these end markets feeling it worse than others? Well, a lot of
0: the chips that go into auto and industrial end markets are manufactured on what's called trailing edge nodes, so let's call that 28 nanometers and larger in terms of uh, transistor density. Now, these aren't the same types of technologies that would produce high-end CPUs or mobile processors, which are often 10 nanometers and smaller. Now, what's happened over the last several years is that there's been persistent underinvestment in these trailing edge nodes as the major foundry players have focused more heavily on the leading edge stuff, and this is to maintain their competitive advantage and better support recent trends that have really demanded these high-end logic solutions, like the data center boom. So this relative underinvestment in the legacy nodes is now catching up to the industry at a time where demand in GDP plus type markets like auto and industrial is just starting to surprise to the upside, and that's what's causing the big issue.
1: And so what types of components are, are actually seeing these challenges? or you know what types of semis are the ones being constrained?
0: Yeah, so in auto industrial markets, we've got a wide variety of components that depend on these legacy nodes. So there are things like temperature and pressure sensors, power management ICs, smaller embedded microcontrollers. On the mobile side, we're also seeing some impact to RF front end as well as camera components, both of which can also lean pretty heavily on 28 and 40 nanometer nodes.
1: I got you. And I guess, you know, as we look at sort of in a broader context, this type of issue and, 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 and probably other pockets of the economy, when you're starting to see some shortages, I'm wondering, how is this getting resolved for the chips? You know, the focus that we have more broadly on inflation, my tendency goes up for any sign of pricing pressure. Are, are suppliers trying to capture price here? You know, will they invest in more capacity? Or is it just kind of the demand has to hold back until until this stuff clears?
0: Yep. So it's a little bit of all three, right? There is some upward pressure on component pricing given the tight supply, especially for some of these analog and embedded components. OEMs are going to be pretty eager to get their hands on whatever they need, just a service and demand right now. Uh, That said, uh, a lot of these components aren't straight commodities. The vendors will work with the OEMs to design in products that stay in a socket for many years. A lot of times there are longer term pricing contracts involved, And the vendors will want to keep that good working relationship with the OEMs alive. So we're probably not going to see any dramatic jumps in pricing, but it's fair to say that chip companies will have little to no trouble passing on any inflation to its customers. Now, aside from the pricing, uh, major foundries like TSMC have already signaled plans for increased CapEx, but it's going to take some time to get those tools delivered and online. And meanwhile, lead times in many of these end markets will just continue to be stretched.
1: i'm wondering uh, how much is the pandemic at play here yeah i think that we're seeing in the auto sector particularly that there's uh you know some pent-up demand which is is accelerating a bit faster than the manufacturers had thought and and you know we've certainly read about that there's some issues around supply chain disruption can you talk a little bit about how COVID might be impacting this yeah sure so i'd say that COVID
0: has been a major factor and its impact has been more drastic on the demand side So what we saw was a large surge of compute demand in the first half of 2020 that was kind of counter-cyclical to GDP. And this was on the back of, as you probably might, might guess, the huge increase in remote work, learning, gaming. So that all took up wafer supply and also skewed capacity investments even more towards these areas. So when you finally got the auto and industrial market snapping back from COVID, perhaps faster than the industry expected, that was the tipping point for the shortage situation that we're now in. There have been some supply side issues related to COVID as well. For instance, the semi-cap equipment vendors had some issues de- delivering tools to customers in a timely manner because their suppliers in Asia were not running at full capacity for safety reasons, et cetera. But I think the major driver has still been the upside surprise in demand.
1: Yeah, well, I think that uh, I'm not alone in sharing that our, our electronics in our households probably increased by, by, by about a half dozen. I wanted to Tease out something you mentioned uh, a moment ago, which was some of these end market customers you know, responding to the shortages with it, 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 their need potentially to pay higher prices to be able to deliver to their end customers. And I'm just wondering whether or not there's going to be you know, longer term impacts from this and whether or not we start to see pre-buying or inventory stocking. Do you have a sense of whether or not there's going to be a, a boom bust before this stabilizes?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, many OEMs currently would, would love to start stocking inventory, but the truth is that the output is just very constrained and will remain that way for some time. Right now, the consensus seems to be that capacity constraints are going to stay in place at least through the first half of this year. And then the situation could potentially improve in the back half. I do think that as that situation improves and more supply comes online, The OEMs will remember this and they may very well decide that it would be more prudent to keep higher inventory levels and run not quite as lean as they had previously been doing. Now that does bring back the potential for more inventory driven semiconductor cycles, which honestly have been pretty muted in recent years because of that focus on lean channel inventory
1: Right, so I guess if we shift uh, a little bit more broadly in the sector, particularly beyond the auto auto manufacturers, some of the other headlines we've seen in the chip space are, you know, certainly last summer was some issues around Huawei, and you know, with them being put on the restricted entity list, has that played a role in terms of how you know how fluid the supply chain has been in the chip space?
0: Um, Not really in a direct sense. Huawei stopped getting deliveries on U.S. semiconductor components this past September. And while they were certainly engaging in inventory stocking in the year prior to that, Most of the components were also not the ones that are currently feeling the most impact. It is possible that increased U.S.-China tensions more broadly caused some stockpiling of semi-cap equipment by the Chinese foundry manufacturers. So these are tools that are probably not even online at the moment, but they exacerbated the long lead times that the non-Chinese foundries experienced uh, a few quarters ago.
1: And then more broadly on the trade issues, you know, there's clearly been a lot of saber rattling and and Huawei was, was, I think, an example of that. And we've had tariff introductions in the tech space as well as in in other parts of the economy over the last four years. Is that a factor here? And if it has been, you know, is anything going to change now that we have a new administration here in the U.S.? Yeah, good question. So the, the
0: tariff impact ended up being pretty benign for the chip industry. It didn't really impact end demand meaningfully. And then certain OEM, the, you know certain OEMs have had to make adjustments to their supply chains. But going forward, as far as what might change with the new administration, I think everyone is still sort of in wait and see mode. For sure, there's been an uptick in military activity in the South China Sea in recent months. So in a sense, tensions are ratcheting up between the U.S. and China. It's possible this means Biden may find it even more important to avoid appearing soft on China in the near term. So my base case is that existing tariffs and export restrictions to major Chinese companies like Huawei, like SMIC, probably stick around for some time.
1: I think on the trade issues, it's potentially a symptom of more that the, the chips themselves are kind of the frontier of national industrial policies. And, you know, whether it's for pride or security or economic clout, and we've seen a variety of countries, you know, clearly here in the U.S., but, but China, Taiwan, Korea you know, are fighting for global leadership. What does that mean for the chip sector? That's right
0: Chris so it's often said that chips are the new industrials right and when you think about how crucial they are in terms of enabling things like next generation communication networks better decision making via machine learning even things like surveillance or military intelligence it's not surprising that there's a growing strategic or geopolitical angle here it's not a stretch to say that the US has probably the best chip design capabilities in the world but i think that it, There's also a broad understanding that the US is probably too reliant on Asian chip manufacturing, specifically Taiwan, in this kind of a world. So I think there will be a concerted effort to expand the domestic chip manufacturing footprint in the US. This will likely be incentivized by the government in some fashion, and it will likely include incentives for not just US companies like Intel to invest more in fabs, but also for the TSMCs and Samsung of the world to build more fabs directly on US soil.
1: And, and there's, you know, maybe it's somewhat tenuous, but a link between the rivalries that we might be seeing between these national narratives and and, and and the rivalries among corporates. And you know, I'm thinking of the classic one between AMD and Intel. And as you think about the strategies for navigating leadership in chip design versus manufacturing, what are some of the implications there?
0: Yeah, great question. So historically, Intel dominated AMD in part because Intel held such an advantage in the leading edge manufacturing department. Wafer fabs are very expensive, but it's worth it if you can have access to the better technology nodes relative to everyone else. Now, in recent years, Intel has fallen behind in the manufacturing department versus its Asian counterparts. So it's not surprising that AMD, who relies on those Asian counterparts for production, has now surpassed Intel in terms of technology, at least by certain metrics. Most of the industry has pivoted to a fab light model over the years. And I think, you know, predominantly design only firms, that phenomenon is here to stay. It's lean. It's great for cash flow margins, but it does put you at the mercy of your contract manufacturers in terms of what technology you get access to and also how much capacity you get allocated. When things are really tight, both industry and government players now realize how important leading edge manufacturing is and increasingly how important the geographical footprint is. So I think there will be some industry adjustments. I think the foundry presence on U.S. soil will probably have to grow it's also possible that intel eventually starts manufacturing chips for other companies as well but i don't see a big reversal in trend in terms of companies that are now fabless or fab light buying a a bunch of facilities and getting back into the integrated design and manufacturing game
1: thanks andy so let's turn this to a a little bit closer to home and something for us which is the credit and you know how to invest with these credit implications whether it's the shortages or some of these other themes that we've talked about, where do you tend to see this as going? You know, Tech obviously tends to have high quality characteristics of strong free cash flow and low leverage. But I'm wondering, you know, how do you tie this to fundamental trends?
0: Yeah, sure. So the current environment is, broadly speaking, going to be pretty positive for most semiconductor vendors, just because end demand is so strong and will probably remain so in the near term. We've already seen some commentary from Qualcomm, for example, they just beat on December quarter revenues said that the print would have been even stronger had capacity not been an issue. So the there are some supply constraints, but overall, the semiconductor companies are really benefiting more so from the demand upside. And many of these companies will just enjoy larger backlogs and better visibility than they would otherwise have.
1: And I guess to dig into that a little bit, if you are able to price this or, you know, seeing, you know, some elevated demand, you know, what does that mean for their margins? Are they seeing any additional costs or bottlenecks that would create a margin headwind?
0: Yeah. So the pricing is going to help the margins, but also the chip manufacturers are all going to be running at pretty close to full utilization, whereas they probably were not, let's say six or nine months ago. So that's another gross margin tailwind. It's possible that certain suppliers of raw materials could be a bottleneck which might prevent you from running utilization as high as you might like. It's also possible that if you rely on a foundry for manufacturing, they may try to raise prices on you given the tightness. And especially if you aren't exactly a tier one customer, that could be an issue and you may not be able to pass on all of that to your customers. But net net, I think that the current industry, the current situation is positive for margins, especially if you're a larger
1: tier one vendor. Gotcha. So, I guess we turn to our final question here. What are the what are the credits you like? What which ones are going to benefit?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I think you're looking at two main areas that will benefit. One is that the cyclical upswing in analog and embedded chip demand is now likely to last longer than it otherwise would have. So chip companies that are predominantly serving the auto and industrial end markets, like NXP, Texas Instruments, and Sensata should stand to benefit. And secondly, semi-cap equipment demand will definitely get a boost as manufacturers play catch-up and address the need to expand capacity. So companies like Applied Materials and LAM Research are also going to see some fundamental tailwinds.
1: Well, great. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate you taking the time. There's obviously a lot of implications that happen within the tech sector as a result of this, but as we think of the broader economy and how we're going to you know, grow back into what's hopefully normal either this year or, or soon, soon thereafter. I really appreciate your discussion here. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. And thank you, listeners. As always, you can find our research on our website, creditsites.com, or if you are not a subscriber, please contact us at sales at creditsites.com. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or produced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information complained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. Receipt by the listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice credit sites or its affiliates.